Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sara Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Maria Afgiditas. Maria is the CEO of Agape Match, a matchmaking service based in New York City and the host of Ask a Matchmaker podcast. For over a decade, she has successfully combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology and search techniques to ensure her professional clientele are introduced to their ultimate match. She's met over 10,000 people and helped set up over 4,000 first dates. Maria has truly transformed matchmaking, utilizing behavioral science and the unique know-how gained through four generations of matchmaking success. So I'm super excited to welcome Maria to the show. Welcome, Maria. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm very excited. And I know my listeners are going to be very excited because matchmaking is such a fascinating topic. So please tell us about you and what you do. Right. So I am a fourth generation matchmaker uh, based out of New York City. Uh, although I do work with clients um, nationally and internationally, we, we certainly have had our, a few clients in London. What we predominantly do at Agape Match is obviously matchmaking, um, coaching programs. So for uh, especially women who may have gone divorced or widowed or out of a really bad breakup or just need a detox, we offer programs um, to help that audience. And uh, I also am the host of another podcast called Ask a Matchmaker. Oh, wow. Okay, brilliant. So how does the matchmaking service work? So if someone says, okay, that sounds exciting. What would you do with them then? If someone says, I'm looking for love. Right. No, it's funny. I never hear I'm looking for love. I always hear what the three-year goals are. And for a lot of people that includes marriage and children. And for some people it does not include marriage and children. It just includes finding someone that they can have a long-term and committed relationship. And maybe they've experienced dating fatigue through online dating. I am not a hater of online dating. It's just a, you know, a matter of the industry or they are too private or too busy to be using online dating. So, you know, as much as we have C-level executives, we also have professors who don't want to be swiping against their students, or we have um, football stars who, uh, you know, for obvious reasons cannot be on Bumble or Hinge. Uh, so we have a diverse group of people and the way to get started is to go to my website um, at agapimatch.com and you fill out the form. So there's, you know, there's a prompt there, you fill it out. And then from there, you know, should you decide to become a client, we schedule a consultation to determine first off, if we're a match, I am very proud to be an ethical matchmaker. It's something that I think is what gets our clients in relationships, because I don't choose clients who represent, if I cannot with a 90% certainty, get them into a relationship in the next six months. 
So if I can't take you on, you know, your first match is with your matchmaker. If I can't take you on, my team will refer you to a matchmaker that can, be it geographically focused, um, lifestyle focused, milestone, you know, relationship milestone focused. It's, it's different for everyone. So we always want to make sure that we're the right service. And if we're not, to refer you to the right service. And then from there, when you're a client, you know, it's all hands on deck on my team. We we start recruiting, we start vetting. We have a massive database, so I don't necessarily have to go hit the bricks, but you know, we do do different things to get to attract the kind of person that our client would be a really great match for lifestyle and values wise. So for instance, you know, let's say I have a client who is maybe I'm just trying to give a really weird example now. Uh, maybe they're an expat who likes to travel to Europe every summer, which is pretty common for a lot of immigrants in this region in the Northeast of the United States. We're looking for someone who not only just has a passport, but sees the value in it's not even a vacation. It's a trip, right? Anytime someone goes back, people might think, oh, she's going to summer in, in London. It's like, well, no, she's visiting her parents. You're kind of giving up a bit of your vacation to make a trip. And, um, you know, finding someone who understands that lifestyle of, you know, that sort of those, that value in the family orientedness. So we'll do different things to attract those people. And we have been attracting those people. So I'm very proud of that. So when someone comes in and you've got somebody you think, oh, yes, we think we've got a potential mm -hmm. match. Do you show them photographs? How does that bit work? How do yeah. you find out if they're going to be compatible? We, we used to not show photos, but then with COVID, uh, you know, when COVID happened, I was eight months pregnant. Um, my other assistant had a three-month-old um, and, you know, uh, and the other people on our staff also have children and it just became a sense of like, oh gosh, we don't have time now to meet people that you're not going to be physically attracted to the genders in a heteronormative sense. The genders are very different here. I mean, even, even homosexual, um, populations actually quite similar in this, you know, men be it gay or straight, they tend to be a lot more visual than women be it gay or straight. Um, so you know, we try to do pre-approvals ahead of time. So I, I don't even take on a client if I don't see what they're attracted to, because if it's beyond the reach that I can find, you know, maybe someone doesn't have self-awareness and says, oh, I only want to date models. Well, okay. Do they want to date you? What do you have to bring to the table? And, you know, women are a lot more forgiving, I think, in looks, but uh, you know, it's, it's very, just, it's very different. And each person is so different as to like, you know, what they're, what they're looking for. We also share like a, a small bio, you know, we try to understand in the beginning, like, what are you attracted to? So when someone decides to become a client, we don't show them our entire deck. We show, you know, a few profiles just to understand what are you attracted to? Because now I have to pretend to be you over the next six months. And I have to, when I look at people, I have to say, oh, would this person be not only physically attracted to them, but qualitatively attracted to them, you know, from a personality and lifestyle standpoint, temperamentally attracted. And that when, you know, if we feel like it's not, not going to be a fit for us, then like I said before, we refer you to a different service that could be a better fit. Okay. And then after that, so do they go on a first date? How do you set that up? What, what happens yeah. there? Yeah. And it's changed significantly the past year, as you can imagine. And I know in the UK, it's been really different. It's a lot more strict there. I'm a little jealous, but it's a lot more strict there than it is here. Prior to the pandemic, 
I have set up over 4,000 first dates in the island of Manhattan. And what we've always done with all of our clients is, you know, I feel like I know some other services, they share phone numbers and emails. And I think that is such a waste of work because people, you know, you know, your friends, everyone's hoping to cancel, even though they won't admit it. So we don't do that. We don't share photos. We don't share phone numbers. We don't share emails. What we do is we actually coordinate your date and pretend it's not trying to rhyme, but pretend like it's 1988. So we tell you the time, place, and day of your date. You show up, you say my name to the hostess or the host, excuse me, would seat you and your date together. And then from there, you know, we collect your date feedback from both parties, from the client and the match. And if it went well, we also set up the second date. Now, during COVID, what we did in the last 11 months is set up 300 Zoom dates. 300 of those Zoom dates went on 200 in-person dates. And up until I think the end of November, all of those dates, most of those dates were walking dates at the park or by the pier. Now with the weather, because it's quite cold uh, in New York and in Chicago where some of our other clients are, we have to um, take advantage of, I don't know if you've seen these, but they're, they're like uh, they're glass igloos or glass houses, outdoor seating. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And so we'll find outdoor seating that's with, you know, heated lamps and we'll set up our clients there. I know it's really hard for anyone in London to do that because, you know, I think you still have this right where you can't actually meet other people still. Yeah, you can go for a socially distanced walk two meters apart, actually outside, but you can't have your house. And actually it is currently illegal to have sex with anybody that doesn't live in the same household as you. So, well, I guess we'll have to talk to gynecologists and neurologists in a few months to see if that worked (laughs) (laughs) because I remember, um, you know, like I said before, I was pregnant when the pandemic kicked off and I gave birth. And I remember my doctor at the time, my gynecologist saying, you know, STDs are still at the same rate as they were before. And I was like, really? Like, I thought that that would have at least fallen, but no, it's uh... (laughs) interesting. interesting. Well, I know a lot of my clients have found that everything very hard because when you're going through a breakup, a lot of people want to get back out there, just have some fun, just to get Mm. them through that tough breakup process and to start moving on again. But obviously that's not been allowed. So yeah, I wonder right. what the what the statistics are over here. I'd be interested to find out. I mean, um, I cannot wait. I It's like the one thing I look forward to is five years from now or seven years from now, reading a PhD student's um, thesis on, you know, different things that may have happened during the pandemic, for instance, like how women's, um, not only empowerment, but women's place in the workforce, how that has completely collapsed because of, uh, COVID-19 or, you know, um, you know, my, my child is three, so he's not as affected, but parents who may have had primary school children, how this affected. So I'm very excited about the literature and the research that's going to come out in a few years over this. And, you know, I think dating is also going to have plenty of you know literature uh as well i bet yes it would be very interesting to see i think hindsight is a wonderful thing um but where we are right now we're trying to make the best of it so so okay so you choose the dates you choose the Mm -hmm. place for them based on what you think they'd like what sort of places have you organized first dates in so i try to think about what they would like it just depends. I don't put that much thought into what they would like, unless they are vegan or vegetarian, where we have to make certain 
certain accommodations to make sure that they are served delicious, delicious food that, you know, if the other person's not vegetarian or vegan, feel like they're missing out on, because I feel like that's an introduction to a really cool lifestyle. You know, I think some people that are not vegetarian and or not vegan, I am one of those people that is not, I'm, I'm certainly a meat eater. I feel like it's illegal as a Greek person to not be, but there are my favorite restaurants are vegan. And I think it's such a great introduction to that lifestyle. I think sometimes people are say, oh, I don't want to date someone who doesn't eat meat, but you know, you can make accommodations and have a really good experience. What we have discovered is certain restaurants and cocktail bars have an ambiance that is just perfect for a first date to get to the second date. So my philosophy when it comes to dating is that the whole purpose of first dates to get to a second date, it's not to determine what is this person looking for? In fact, I don't think you should even ask those questions before you meet someone in person. What are you looking for? Because it's irrelevant without the context of a first date, right? You could tell a person, what are you looking for? And he could reply, I'm looking for a relationship, but then you meet, he, that doesn't mean he wants a relationship with you. Right. <laughs> and similarly, he could say, I don't know. And then he meets you and he's like, oh, no, no, I want you, you know, so without the context of a first date, it's impossible to figure out. And the whole purpose of first dates to go on a second date. So there are certain places like the one thing that comes to mind right now is this place called Dear Irving. It's in Gramercy Park uh, neighborhood in Manhattan. I have sent over a hundred first dates there. And I think the last time I looked, 92 of them went on second dates. So I feel like there are certain places, and I'll tell you what we look for when we choose places. We look at seating arrangements. I don't want, you know, in Manhattan, I'm sure it's the same in London. The places are so small that sometimes it's a lot easier for them to have people sitting across from each other instead of sitting perpendicular. Well, yeah. the truth is that I don't want to ever sit people across from each other. I always look for tapas places or wine bars where the seating is perpendicular or better yet next to each other. And places like Dear Irving, they only have couches. So you're forced to sit next to someone on a couch and they have like these beautiful crystals that like rain down on the wall. It's a little dark, but it's still bright enough for you to like make each other, you know, make out each other's faces. And this is, these are the things that we look for is what are the opportunities of them having a great time and creating just a bit of sexual tension based on their seating arrangement, based on the lighting, based on the ambiance. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Okay, really interesting. So how do you know if someone is compatible with you or not? What are the things we should be looking for? Going into the deep question, Sarah. <laughs> you know, this is actually one of the things that we, that I, that I coach in one of our coaching programs, but my philosophy in this as a matchmaker, whose sole job is to look for long-term compatibility, even though the product matchmaking is judged on initial chemistry, which I have zero control over because it's very elusive. Um, but I do believe that there are essentially five pillars of compatibility. That's what I call it. And in no particular order, it's intellectual compatibility, emotional compatibility, financial compatibility, physical compatibility and spiritual compatibility. So all of these things, they're interconnected. You know, think of the Parthenon. I'm going to use a Greek example. Think of the Parthenon, right? It's made out of marble and so is the foundation. And so, so is your compatibility, right? Your compatibility is made up of your values and your lifestyle and what you feel is important, where your conscientiousness is among other, among yourself and other people. 
And then those pillars, those columns in the Parthenon are built from the same, right? What you believe emotionally is also driven from your values and, and, and your lifestyle. So if you look at the Parthenon, I always say like there are certain parts of the Parthenon that are a little bit more fragile than others, right? If I were to break down one of the middle columns in the front, it doesn't hurt the overall integrity of the building. But if I knock off, you know, a corner column where it carries a lot of, you know, a lot of weight and therefore more stress, that has a lot more effect. So when I see someone's compatibility, I think, okay, where are the stressors here? Because, you know, physical compatibility is great, but that lasts maybe the first couple of weeks of any relationship. After that, people get past it. But emotional compatibility, financial compatibility, these are the things that people divorce about. And, and, you know, you're a divorce coach, so you could, maybe you can validate what I'm about to, what I'm saying here, but I feel like I've noticed, and this is again, back to my dating philosophy, it's incredibly easy to fall in love. I don't know about you, Sarah, but I have fallen in love several times in my life, but it's really hard to choose to like someone over the next 30, 40 years of your life. Yeah. So with that being said, when you look at compatibility, when you look at the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, the intellectual, the financial, you have to do things that are conscientious about your, with your partner that are likable, that you can share with that person, because this is, this is a hard choice. People never divorce for lack of love. It's always for lack of like. (laughs) <laughs> I like that. People never divorce of lack of love. It's always lack of like. Yes, yes, yes. That's very true. Very true. I think, you know, life, well, as I see in my clinic, life can change people, you know, people grow apart, you know, that connection will fizzle out over time, potentially. But actually, you're left with, have I got anything in common with this person? Do I enjoy right. being around this person? Can we go and do the same things together we both enjoy? So yeah, I totally agree that it's, it runs deep. It's not just the physical. But relationships also just come in waves. I mean, think about it. All of us have to deal with a, a sick parent one day. God forbid a sick child, okay? Um, you might Someone might lose their job. Uh, you know, someone's just having a bad day. Or similarly, what is your partner like when you're having a great day? You know, there's a lot of emotional abuse that comes when you're having a good day with some couples. So there's all these things. Now it's hard for me, obviously, as a matchmaker to understand all these complexities upon meeting someone for an hour. I have to, you'd have to date them, but I try to get a glimpse by asking certain questions when I meet someone to understand, okay, you know, the, where's the meat and potatoes so I can see if I can set them up. Um, and you know, everything is up to fate and chance. Everyone, you know, there's so many people that have, to me have looked perfect on paper and I set them up and they don't get on. I've also set up people on dates where the feedback comes back like a schizophrenic. One person said this was the best date of their life. And that person's like, what were you thinking? So, <laughs> you know, it all, I, I don't understand how that happened. It's happened to me. Like maybe I think seven or eight times in the last 12 years, I still do not understand how people can have such different feedback to a date but it has happened so I guess zoom dates are a little bit harder because Mm. it's less personal so what are your tips for making a zoom date more successful but is it less personal you're in someone's bedroom oh are you okay I mean I was thinking living room but bedroom okay yeah maybe some people it's a living room for some people but that's still you're in someone's house so I feel like there's a lot I feel like it might be a little too personal. 
but I, I do have a few Zoom date tips. The first is be mindful of your light. So I always say I have at least two sources of light, maybe by a window and the lamp next to you or the, the light ahead and the lamp, another lamp, but have two sources of light because you're two dimensional. If you were on a date at a bar, you're moving around, the shadowing moves with you and there is a flattering angle eventually, right? But when you're two dimensional, shadow can change a person's um, appearance quite significantly. So removing all some of that shadow, it just, it's more flattering in a two-dimensional space. The next thing that I would tell you as advice is angle, be more mindful of where your camera is. It should not be at eye level or below. In fact, it should be one or two inches just above your eye level. Um, again, it goes back to what's flattering people. You're two-dimensional. Uh, when you are um, on a date, especially if you're sitting next to someone or sitting across from someone, you're moving about and people's eye, eye excuse me, people's um, line of sight does go above your head and below your head and they have, they get to see you, you know, as a three-dimensional object, but two-dimensionally you want, you want the camera to be just a little bit above. So move that iPod, um, iPad on top of a few books. And then the third thing that I'd be mindful is your space. So you know, if you play the guitar, put that guitar in the corner of the room. If you collect Monopoly boards, put those Monopoly boards somewhere in the back where someone can comment on it. It's such an easy icebreaker. It gives people something to talk about because at the end of the day, you are strangers. That's why you're meeting through Zoom. So by giving those small icebreakers where you can suddenly talk about something you're passionate about, you know, it makes people feel really comfortable. And that's, that's what, you know, that's what we're all just trying to do is just feel comfortable with a person online. Yeah. Oh, great tips. I love that. I love the tip about having something behind you that's going to spark a conversation. I think that's really, really good idea because it can be could awkward. Be, it could be a bottle of wine. It doesn't have to go too far. You know, it could be a painting. Um, you know, for instance, right now, and I know your, your listeners can't see this, but Sarah has the most gorgeous wallpaper behind her. And if we were able to talk on a personal level, I'd want to learn more about where she find that wallpaper, you know, what she likes about it. I, I think it's amazing. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> I love that. No, you can tell a lot, I think, from looking at where people are about their homes and their personal tastes and those kind of things. And I think, you know, with online dating, that's something when you look at the, the snapshots that people put up, you know, I think you can quite often tell a lot by the photograph that they're putting up there. So what, what do you think about online dating compared to matchmaking? The different I don't approach? compare them at all. They're such different animals. I, they're different audiences, different dating outcomes, different stigma. Um, I don't compare them at all, but I do love online dating. I think it's such a great tool for millions of people. And, you know, I'm sure uh, I know over a million people have gotten married through online dating. So, it, you know, while it doesn't work for everyone, it does work for some people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's a great tool. So how does matchmaking work price-wise? Because obviously if people are interested to do it and they want to go and meet someone, I quite like the idea of the right. personal touch and talking to somebody. So how does that work? Is it, Do you have to have quite a bit of money to invest in this to do this? Or is this something most people could do? There's different options. I will say as a matchmaking professional, the matchmakers that I trust that I feel like would do a good job, you know, they do start, I'm going to say this in dollars, 
but they tend to start at $12,000 and, and then the price rises for a six month program. So we're talking about, I think that's like what, 8,000 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. But 8,000 pounds. So, so what would you expect for that? I just spoke generally across the industry that the prices usually start from there and go up. I'll tell you more about my company since you're asking, you know, me. So I, like I said before, I don't like to take anyone. If I don't feel like there's a 90% certainty, I could get them in a relationship in the next six months. And what I recognized, you know, I've had my business for 12 years now. What I recognized in 2017 was that we had developed a coaching program that was hitting a 90% success rate for women but our matchmaking program was about 50% for women. And I was just like, why am I doing this? So what we did in 2017 is we reorganized the program. So if you want to do matchmaking, we only accept male clients and our pricing actually at Agape Match starts at $25,000 for a six month program. What you'll receive is unlimited matches over the next you know, six months. But I try to go for quality over quantity. Historically, most of our clients will receive anywhere between 12 and 15 matches in that period. If they're still single, 90% of my clients are in relationships by match four or five. So, you know, not 90%, uh, but a significant, but 90% of our clients at the end of their contract are in relationships. For women, we developed a coaching program called the Dating Refresh. That ranges between $7,900 and $10,000. And that program has, you know, a 90% success rate. It's not matchmaking. Now, if you are a woman who wants matchmaking, you can always join my database for free. So it's free for women and we only charge men for matchmaking. And in coaching, we only take on women for coaching. And it's not like, oh, I know how to date. I don't need a coach. It's actually not about that at all. It's called the dating refresh. It's because we're just reincorporating like what I know as a matchmaker is about compatibility. So I teach people how to be their own matchmaker. I'm not even matching you. I'm basically telling you, here's what your temperament tells me. Here's what your, the chemistry in your body is telling me of who you'd be compatible with. Here's where you're going to find that particular person. And so it's, it's that dating refresh starts off with a group coaching intensive. It's over three days, nine hours, but you know, it's a really great program that you know, get the women on a lot of dates because it does include an online dating manager for three months. So we have someone on our staff who literally pretends to be you online and she's a pun champion, a national pun champion. So she's really good at writing, but she's just trying to get you on that zoom date as quick as possible. Um, you know, we have a lot of standards and rules here of, you know, how we get our clients relationships. And in fact, yesterday we actually celebrated an engagement from one of our women who was in a dating refresh um, last December. Oh, congratulations. Gosh, that's really exciting. I mean, is dating fun? It sounds fun to me, but is it fun to people? No, dating sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm very public about this on my Instagram, but I feel like dating really sucks. I think the beginning of a relationship can be a lot of fun. But you know what? I think mindset is everything. So if you go into every date thinking, I'm excited to meet this person, then guess what? Nine out of 10 times, that date's actually going to go really well, even if it doesn't go the distance. Because not everyone is meant to, you know, be a book. Some people are meant to be poems, right? But if you go into the saying, oh, you know, let's see what this guy's going to say again or what she's going to do now you are going with a really negative mindset, which will heavily affect the outcome of that date and also your attitude towards that person. Absolutely. What would you say is the biggest mistake you've seen people make with dating? I think the biggest mistake is 
operating under absolutes. You know, yesterday I met a gentleman who lives, you know, in downtown Manhattan. And he said, I will only meet women who live in downtown Manhattan. I would never leave downtown Manhattan. You know, don't even introduce me to someone who would not want to move in downtown Manhattan. And I was like, how do you know you're, you know, you might meet someone and have a child and decide, you know what, the city's not for me anymore. So, or when someone says, I would never date, you know, insert a religion, or I would never date someone who's below, you know, five foot nine. And I'm like, okay, you know, these are really weird absolutes that don't really mean anything because every example I just gave you tells you nothing about someone's character. If you told me, Sarah, I would never date a liar. Great. I hope you never date a liar. That makes sense to me. But people tend to put absolutes on things that have nothing to do with earned potential or, you know, integrity, character, you know, these really, these things that are really qualitative to a good match. Yeah, good advice. I agree. Totally agree with that one. A lot of my listeners will be thinking, yeah, it sounds good, but I'm just really nervous to start dating Mm -hmm. again after my breakup. I've been hurt. I've got trust issues. I don't think I could trust anyone. And quite frankly, I can't think that I would ever love anyone as much as I love my ex. Mm -hmm. And also there'll be people thinking, well, I'm just not very proud of myself right now. I've maybe put on some weight. I don't feel as happy as I think I should be to start dating. What would your advice be to people in those situations? These are all, everything you just described is, they're all self-sabotaging beliefs. And every time you think to yourself, you know, I'm too overweight to meet someone or I'll never love like I did before, or I can't do better than I did before. You have to we have in our office a visual called, um, it's a pause button, it's like a red button. And we send this to all of our clients. And that visual is great because you have it in front of you. So when you have those self-sabotaging thoughts, you just take a minute to pause and remind yourself, what are the facts here? Because these are feelings. The fact is that I am a voluptuous woman. The fact is that if I were to go to any porn website right now, I would see that men are certainly looking up voluptuous women. The fact (laughs) is that not a lot of men want to date voluptuous women, just the same amount of men who don't want to date really skinny women. Okay. But what's the other fact here? The other fact is that what 95% of people get married. The fact is that you're only going to, even if you went into a wedding dress shop and all of the wedding dresses fit you, you're only going to go down the aisle with one. And it's the same with a man. It's the same with a woman, right? Like whoever you're married, whatever you subscribe to sexually, you're only dating one person for most people. If we're not talking polyamory, you know, you know, you have to think about the facts and, and just pause for a minute because it's those self-sabotaging beliefs that bring us into these weird spirals that, that, that are hard to get out of. Hmm. Mm, absolutely thank you I think that's been really interesting I know my listeners will love what you've had to say really fascinating and hopefully it's inspired some of them to step up and start moving on and looking at the other options out there for them I always ask my guests my my podcast is called heartbreak to happiness and I think if you're looking for happiness and moving towards it you've got to know what it is so what is happiness for you Maria Mm, that's such a good question. My initial thought goes to my husband. I feel um, like 
the most important decision you'll ever make. And I think your clients all know this now, but the most important decision you, you'll ever make, Warren Buffett said this, is who you choose to marry. And, you know, there are instances where I look at my husband, I always say he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. My children are the greatest, but he continues to be the best thing. And it's because we try to like each other. We actually go out of our way to like each other. And that makes me really happy. Good advice. Really good advice. So where can people go to find out more about you, Marie? So they can, you can certainly follow me on Instagram. I am at matchmaker Maria. And if you are interested in, you can also, you know, even men are, are more than welcome to join a free, our free database as well. You know, you never know. We always get requests from other matchmakers who are looking for men, but you can join um, our database by visiting agapimatch.com. Uh, but you know, anything else you need from me, the link in my bio on Instagram has everything you need when it comes to how to work with me or how to speak to me or how to connect with me. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming. It's been absolutely brilliant. Loved hearing all your tips and advice. Thank you for being part of the show. And thank you for having me. That's it for today's episode. Be sure to head on over to at matchmaker Maria on Instagram to find out more about Maria And I look forward to you joining me on our next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review in iTunes will win the chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day, including exclusive one-on-one coaching with Sarah Davison herself. Be sure to head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com and pick up a free copy of Sarah's gift. Then join us on the next episode.